These are the Stanley Cup champions cheering for us. Obi could beat the fuck out of Wayne Gretzky. Could you break Wayne Gretzky's leg? Because he's 24! The smoke blinds from straight 40s before I go out for warmies. We got like half dressed and then last for and we we're just going nuts. We're in the locker room by then. We we're just going absolutely bananas. All right, guys, we now welcome on a very special guest. Over a thousand professional games played, a thousand professional points scored, Dutch Ice Hockey League MVP and champion, two time Calder Cup champion with our Hershey Bears here, and the 2010 AHL MVP, Keith Acoin. Keith, how are you? Thanks for coming on the show. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Stick to be on. Stick to have yeah, the awesome. accomplishments. It's, and then yeah, tore up sure. Europe for <laughs> a good I haven't, bit. I haven't, done, I haven't done many interviews the last couple of years since I've been tired, so <laughs> might, be, might, be a little, might be a little rusty. Oh, that's all right. We'll have to get into why that happened. So like I said, we're going to talk some caps. We're going to talk some Hershey, but I guess we'll set a little background first for a, kind of a lot of people that may not know. I mean, undrafted to one of the most, I would say, dominant AHL players of all time, being seventh uh, all-time on that scoring list. Um, kind of take us through your career a little bit as a kid and youth and kind of when it hit you when you realized that you know hockey could is could seriously be a thing for you yeah i mean i grew up in uh Walton, massachusetts and um and then i moved to Chelmsford when i was 12 and um you know back then you didn't have to play junior hockey the way it is now so you know all the good hockey players in massachusetts all played for you know the town hockey team or whoever or high school and so i ended up having a good four years with my my high school and um you know, I just never got a Division One look. Um, you know, I always had the, so I was too small. I wasn't a good enough skater. Um, so I ended up going and played at Norwich University, a, you know, one of the better Division Three schools there are in, yeah. in uh, D3 hockey. So um, I ended up going there, and, you know, I was able to develop as a player. And I played a lot for four years. And, um, you know, if I went Division One, maybe I wouldn't have played until I was a senior or something like that. So I was able, I was able, I was able to develop as a player and, um, so I think that's experience. Yeah, a lot of ice time benefited that way. Um, so that's you know, it's kind of how it looked. And um, you know, when you're undrafted, you know, you're, there's a good chance you're gonna have to work your way up through you know whatever leagues you you start in. And um, yeah, we're talking you know, about ECHL, <clears throat> AHL, all that. Yeah, you know, coming out of college, um, Tom Rowe, who was the coach of the Low Lock Monsters at the time, knew my coach at college and. My coach in college, Mike McShane, gave him a call to tell him, you know, I got a guy that deserves a chance. And, um, you know, he gave me a first tryout and the Little Rock Monsters, and they were with uh, Carolina Hurricanes at the time. And nice. So that's kind of how it all started. There it is. Uh, and then we got to the point where we mentioned that uh, you do go undrafted. So I guess two-part question here, kind of what's the mindset and thought process um, deciding to enter yourself into the draft and then the afterthought of, all right, I was undrafted. I mean, do you almost have to think to yourself what's next in terms of, you know, which league would be a good fit? Where should I try out? Um, <clears throat> curious to know kind of how you handled that and how you went through that process. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I I knew I wasn't going to get drafted. Or I didn't expect to get drafted. Um, nobody – there wasn't anybody going D3 at that time playing, you know, pro hockey, never mind get drafted. So, um, I had the mindset, I kind of figured that I wasn't going to get drafted and that, you know, I would have to come in and prove myself, you know, work my way up and do the, you know, whatever level I had to start at. Um, so that was just kind of the way that was. So I didn't really never expect to get drafted. Um, like I said, you know, there's only one or two guys that, playing pro hockey that played D3 so I knew it was going to be a kind of a grind to get to where I wanted to be and 
Um, after my first year of playing uh, my first training camp in the AHL, I knew I could play at the AHL level as long as I got a chance. And, you know, I was able to capitalize on that chance and kind of just work my way up that way. And then a lot of it, I think, well, of what people have said is just obviously being undersized, I guess, in that period of time, whereas, you know, some bigger guys. Um, but, I mean, do you kind of see the game now and where it is and how it's kind of somewhat dominated by these smaller and more skill forward? You kind of think to yourself, like, shit, man, if I was 10 years later, I might have been a perfect fit right there in that first or second round. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, the first five years of my career was, you know, was tough. You know, hockey was a lot bigger and, you know, you could hook, you could hold. There was, they didn't call that kind of stuff. So it was kind of a different game. Right. And then, um, but yeah, I mean, the guys were, guys are big. So it was a big, that was the biggest thing for me coming out of college was getting used to the size of guys. That was the toughest part for me to develop. And, you know, I knew I had to get stronger after playing one year. Um, but I think if, if I was, you know, coming up now or, you know, like 10 years ago, right. eight years ago, I think it would have been a whole different ball game. But, um, you know, that's just the way it goes. And, you know, I had a really fun career and I made it a lot further than most people expected. So um, yeah, I got to play until I was 40 years old, so I can't complain. You right. know? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you, you see guys like, like yourself and like Tim Stapleton, they'll like rip it up in the AHL, but like it's, it's just the size difference in that era of hockey where they just can't contain an, an NHL career throughout like a long-term career. Yeah, I think it's that, you know, um, at the same time, you know, guys like us, when we get called up um, from the AHL to the NHL, you're kind of put on a fourth line role or you don't, you don't play as much as you usually do. And so it's kind of hard at that aspect, you know, like, like Tim Stapleton, myself, you know, we get called up and, you know, put on third, fourth line role and on the power play. So, you know, that was a kind of a disadvantage of that at bat, um, the way that went. But, um, then sometimes you just, some guys just, you know, didn't, didn't do their job when they did get called up. So, you know, everybody's different um, in that aspect. So it's all about taking advantage of your time when you get called up and um, doing the job that you're supposed to do. But, you know, every player is different. You know, I always felt like if I was put on a third, fourth line role that I could adjust my game and play at that kind of role. Um, you know, which I did with the Capitals towards like the, you know, I think it was right. my last year with the Capitals. I played with um, Mike Knubel and, and Joel Ward were, were aligned in, times, in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, so um, that's just kind of the way it goes. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that, getting called up, not getting as much ice time. I mean, and that four years spent with the Caps organization, I mean, you spent some time in D.C. playing between 10 and 30-ish games. Um, I mean, you're on the Bears, your guys are having a great season, you're personally lighting it up, then you get the call to come play, uh, which you know is probably going to be limited minutes uh, on the Caps. So when you do get that call, is it kind of almost like, I mean, we're winning a ton, I'm playing well, and maybe I don't kind of want to go up there and screw up my game for these couple games, or is it, now the Caps just called, I'm packing my shit, and I'm uh, going up to play in the NHL? Yeah, I always, whenever I got that call, I was excited. Yeah. Um, didn't matter where I was or whatever. If you're getting a call in the NHL, that's your, your goal or where you want to be. Right. Um, that's kind of just the role that you have. Um, so I was never disappointed when I got that phone call. I was always excited um, throughout my whole career. Didn't matter how old I was or whatever. It was always another opportunity of myself to prove that I can play there on a regular basis, which I always thought I could do once I you know, felt like my game was NHL ready, which took, you know, five, six years for me to develop into a guy that I thought I could play at the NHL level. So, um, you know, whenever I got that call, it was not, not, there was no better call you got. Yeah, for sure. Get called um, up, so. yeah, speaking of the excitement of getting that call, I mean, just 
Take us through kind of that first season in the organization, 08-09, and getting that first call um, to the Caps and kind of walking in that locker room for the first time, being around the young core, I guess the young era for the Caps that was going on at the time with Backstrom and Novechkin and Mike Green and what all was going on here. Yeah, yeah Alex Semin too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was awesome. I mean, those they were young at that time, but it was also kind of changing the guy of, of the of the of the division that they were in. Right. You know, the year before that, they took over the division over the Carolina Hurricanes, and so it was kind of stepping into an up and coming organization. So, um, but those guys are great. You got to get to, got to get to know those guys in training camp. Um, you know, that, for a guy like myself, that was the best part about training camp is you got to know the guys and um, you know how they played. And, and when you got called up, it wasn't much of an adjustment period. You kind of already knew the guys from training camp and everything like that. So um, that always helped out. But those guys are great. Every time I got called up, you know, they welcomed us with open arms, like, you know, we were one of the guys. So that's what's great about hockey players. I mean, you go anywhere oh, and sure. you know, they, treat you, they treat you kind of like you're one of the guys no matter what. So now, is there a lot of fun to be a part of. Is there anyone in particular that kind of stood out to you the most in terms of, I guess, just being helpful or yeah, taking over the locker room? A yeah, one bit. guy you kind of think back and pinpoint, like, made an impact uh, on you or <clears throat> your situation or just the team in general. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to pick one guy. I thought, um, you know, Bradley and Steck are always very, you know, funny guys and always kind of outgoing, always friendly with me. Um, you know, Veskin was always a friendly guy too. You know, people yeah. always ask me now, like, what's Alex Veskin like? I mean, like, he's one of the better guys in the game of hockey. Um, yeah, so they're just enjoying the uh, game. Yeah, but that, the group of guys they always had there was always welcome. There was always good guys. It seemed like they're always a very close locker room. Um, they always seemed to hang out, you know, after practice, go to lunch, after games, go to grab dinner. So um, a lot of times when I was up there getting called up through my four years there, was, I knew a lot of those guys from Hershey, you know, Carlson, Alsner, mm-hmm. uh, Matty Perot. So I knew a lot of those guys from playing with them in Hershey as well. So that was the adjustment period of getting called up there was very easy. Yeah, think, kind of seamless. Yeah, I think when you were in Hershey, yeah. you got a. Uh, to see John Carlson when he kind of came into the Caps organization, uh, how was he like as a rookie? I guess coming in, playing with Hershey, going back and forth. Yeah, he was great. I mean, I think the first year we were there, he came after juniors, so he you know played a couple weeks and then in the playoffs. Um, but you could see that he had the. I didn't expect him to be what he is now right, as a, like yeah. you know this year the Norris Trophy guy, but you know. He, coming in everybody's talking about how good he was going to be but you could see the type of player he was, he was good in the power play he was good defensively and <clears throat> he, he knew he was going to grow and get bigger and stronger like he did but um, you know I watched a game the other night that he was playing I mean his game is you know come full, full circle it's you know he's probably the best defenseman in the league the way he's playing right now he kind of reminds me of Mike Green you know the first right. couple of years he was there you know it was pretty similar to that um, yeah. in that run but um, might be a little better defensively and... yeah for sure um... yeah I kind of want to ask you about the two seasons in Hershey, the back-to-back championships. We'll kind of go one by one because, I mean, I feel like you'd say that was maybe the best two years in terms of your hockey life. I mean, you're winning two straight AHL championships and MVP. Uh, So let's go through that first one. I mean, uh, 96 points in 70 games. You guys win the Calder Cup, like we said. Neuvert, uh, MVP for the playoffs. Uh, Your first pro hockey championship, correct me if I'm wrong there. I mean, Correct, yeah. yeah, just take us through that playoff run and I guess finally achieving that Calder Cup and then obviously the celebration afterwards. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we were, we were loaded those two years. Um, you don't you don't usually find teams at that level with the talent that we had. Um, you know, we, we rolled four lines of 60 and, you know, we had New York as a goalie. Um, 
and then I think Hopi the, the second year, or both in the second year. I don't really. That's not bad. I've been, I've been, hitting, the, I've been hitting the head a lot. So yeah. Bear with me a little bit. Um, but um, you know, we had got a lot of guys on on those, you know, especially the that second year but the first year we had guys that were you know either a little young not ready for the NHL yet or we had guys that are kind of on that borderline of being a full-time NHL player and they just weren't quite ready yet um you know guys like myself they're a little bit older that you know kind of that extra four that we need a guy called up so we were loaded and I you know I got to play with uh Alex Giroux and, and Graham Mink my first year and, um those two guys are pure goal scorers so you know when me and Alex would put together you know he would find the to get open and I was a passer so it kind of just worked out perfectly um, and you had Chris Bork you know Matt Perot for the second line and we, up, just, yeah. we were just loaded I mean teams knew when they were playing us those two years that there's a very good chance they were going to lose you know and you know you know, we weren't cocky as, as a team, but you know, we were confident and we, you know, we went into every game expecting to win. But, um, you know, when we got to the playoffs those two years, I mean, we kind of, you know, personally, I knew we weren't going to lose unless we blew it ourselves. Yeah, and just then running the table, um, basically. Yeah. I mean, the second, the second year there that we won it and when in the finals against Texas, we lost the first two games at home and then we ended up winning four straight. Four straight um, yeah. so that was just the type of team that we had, you know, we had a confidence and, um, you know, the parting was fun. That's the best part, right? So, there you go. Yeah. so who would you say, like, in that locker room was, like, the main leader of, the, of that locker room? Or where did the yeah, leadership come from? Yeah, thinking of AHL, you kind of don't know if, how many guys are going to stay and go and stay and go. So, Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's actually an easy question for me to answer. It's The guy whose name was Brian Helmer. I'm, I'm sure you guys might have heard of him or not, but mm-hmm. um, sure. he ended up getting called up for a couple of times between those two years, but he was, you know, he was 35, 36 maybe at that time, but um, he was the best, probably the best guy personally I've ever played with and best captain I've ever played with. I mean, he was just a great guy off the ice. He would do anything for you. And, um, but that was a, that's an easy answer for me. I mean, he was one of the best players I've ever best person off the ice and off the ice that I've ever played with and if you ask anybody that say the same exact thing about him um, still in contact with him he's a reter- I think he's a GM of Hershey now actually wow so he's still in- he's still involved with uh, the Bears and the Capitals there it is uh, so you mentioned uh, the partying's a good time afterwards what I kind of want to see or figure out what the difference is I mean granted a lot of guys that win it will say they may win it over twice over a six year seven year span and they're like yeah the first time's all partying the second time I kind of hang out with the family take it easy enjoyed it more yeah but I mean it's back to back for you guys so it's not like there's a huge amount of time difference and it's basically the same squad but I mean was there any difference uh, if any between the first championship I guess partying and the second <sighs> Um, I think we went harder the second year. <laughs> yeah, <there you> go. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to win a championship right. two years in a row. So I think I think guys realize that we kind of really enjoyed ourselves that year. But um, the first year after you won it, you could get the trophy. Um, so you know that summer you got it for a weekend. You picked a weekend. You got it for the for the weekend. And you know that summer we had it for a weekend. We had a big party, a family party, and then we had you know friends and family party. So that was cool thing to have. I didn't do that the second year, just, you know, because we did it that one year, but, right. um, but we had a lot of, the, the, the great part about those two teams, it, it was, uh, you know, guys got called up, went sent back down, and then, you know, you had guys like Carlson coming late into the year, but we had such a group, a close group of guys that, you know, we just really enjoyed, you know, playing together and, you know, hanging out, so 
we won. You know, it was just it all came together. So, and the Hershey, you know, there's not many places to party. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, places, but, so I guess so. what you guys do as much as you can or want to tell us for that second one where you uh, claim you go harder uh, around the Hershey area. I guess I mean we've been up there plenty of times. It's I mean I guess besides going to the amusement park, there's not I don't yeah, know much. too much. Yeah, unless right. you guys are getting a little lit and swimming <laughs> around the chocolate fountains or something. But. <laughs> Yeah, we, I mean, we, we always went to a place called Shakey's. I don't, I don't know if it's still there or not, um, but they're always good to us. They kind of let us, you know, do our own thing, have fun. Um, but uh, the first, the, the first year we won, we won in Manitoba, and then so we we didn't get home till like four or five in the morning. And when we got back, we had like, you know, a police escort with fire trucks uh-huh. bring us from the airport to Hershey. So you know, we got cool. treated. Uh, the, yeah, the fans are awesome. You, you can't beat in that level in that league. So um, we got treated really good. There it is. So that season, your MVP season, I mean, would you almost say that was, I mean, you've had a lot of good seasons uh, throughout your professional career. Would you almost say that was the best one you've ever played or your most successful season, you think, on a personal level? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, like I said, the chemistry that we had, that second year was pretty much the same guys I got to play with. I think the first year I was played with Alex Giroux and Graham Mink, and the second year was uh, Alex Giroux and uh, Andrew Gordon. So, um, you, you know, the, the chemistry that we chemistry. had. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, just the chemistry we had. I mean, it, like I said, when throughout my career in the AHL, I really got to play with the same guys year after year. It just doesn't happen at right. that level. It, yeah, it, it was everything changing. So, um, you know, the chemistry we had made it a lot easier for us and we, and we never lost a beat from year to year. Um, but like I said, when I was strictly a passer. So, and Alex Giroux was a, was a, was a goal scorer. So he knew how mm-hmm. to get open and it seemed like that year, every time I passed on the puck, he scored in every shot. You know what I mean? So it was just one of those years that everything came together and, um, you know, he scored a lot. I think he scored 60 goals that year and broke the record. So, Sounds like um, the it, was just, it was a good year for both Ovi of us. Ovi and Backstrom of the AHL. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Two tandems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they got paid way more money than us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to jump back to when you were with Carolina real quick. That uh, When they won the Stanley Cup in 06, um, did, did you get a ring when uh, you were in the organization? I did. Um, okay. We were there. We were, I was one of the black aces with uh, I think three other guys. Did you played so a good bit, of, good bit of games with so them. You were there year? celebrating. That was, that's got to be. Pretty yeah, fun. that was that was fun. That was awesome. I mean, they didn't have to do that. They gave us a ring. They didn't have to do that. You know, we traveled with the team and everything. And you know, I had my dad come down. It was Game Seven. They won Game Seven at home. So right. I was have my dad fly down and <clears throat> come to the game, and we got a lot of awesome pictures that we have that you know they will always have. So yeah, life was cool. Yeah, I mean, it was it was fun to be a part of, but you know when you don't play, right? Yeah, kinda, it's gonna, you, don't, you don't really feel it. You don't really feel kinda, a part of it, but <clears throat> kind of, I don't know. Kind of just felt like an extra guy, but they they made us feel like we we're a part of the team. Going yeah, the you're, road, you're with the team. You're around the team. You're there for a reason. I mean, yeah. it, to yeah, get I mean, caught up if something happens. Experience, kind of see like um, the, the other players go through that. That kind of probably yeah, helped you out with. Your but I career. guess you mentioned you'd probably pick those AHL. Um, <laughs> Celebration, just knowing you played such a big impact on those teams, maybe. Um. Yeah, I mean, coming like you know that happened. I think two years before Hershey. So I mean, it was it was that was the first championship I won in Hershey, oh, sure. like as a as a player right. professionally. So it was nice to be part of you know being more a part of the team and playing and contributing. So that's probably the biggest difference too. But 
She's going to take my Stanley Cup away anyway. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, sure. For sure. You, can, you can still flex that one, everyone. Um, so I kind of want to, we want to get into what you're kind of doing now, some coaching. But uh, when you first hopped on, you said you haven't done an interview in a while due to getting fired. So I guess, uh, did you get fired from one of the European teams you're over with? And uh, I guess, what did you do to deserve that? Well, sorry, I didn't hear you there. What was that? I said when you first hopped on, you mentioned you hadn't done an interview in a while due to um, getting fired. So I guess we're oh, trying to figure out, yeah. would you get fired from one of the uh, European teams you're with? And what would you do to uh, deserve all that? Uh, no, I, I retired on my own. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I went to Switzerland for one year, and then I played three years in Munich, Germany. Um, going into my last year, I kind of had an uh, idea that was going to be my last year. Both my kids were getting older and starting to go to school, and my oldest was going to school, kindergarten over there in Germany, and I just, you know, it felt like it was time now that the family home, the go to the school and make friends, so that's kind of, and I was, you know, I was 39 years old, so I, mentally I was ready to, you know, stop traveling, let the, let the kids be, you know, normal kids live at home and, and do that, so. Kind of end um, the grind. Yeah, yeah and I always I want, I want that. Yeah, I wanted. To, I always wanted to end on my own terms. I didn't right. want to want to play and not be able to get a contract. So, you know, it all worked out good. Right. And so now you're in. You're back in the game. You're coaching. Um, obviously, I'd say it's not for everyone. I mean, every good player doesn't necessarily make a good coach. But I mean, you seem to find a good fit there uh, with the Boston Junior Rangers. So, kind of just take us through that. How you got started with that, and just kind of how you see the game differently from the top of the bench <clears throat> now. Yeah. Well, after coaching for you. Now I know why I pissed off so many coaches the way I play. <laughs> so I mean, now I now I understand why I, I upset upset so many coaches. But um, yeah, my my good friend uh, who I played high school hockey with uh, ran that program, and their assistant coach uh, took another job, and so he gave me a call, and you know it just kind of worked out as perfect timing. I wasn't really doing anything, and I. You know, I didn't really know if I wanted to get into coaching, but at the same time, it's a big part is I don't want to move the family around anymore. And um, the organization is about 20 minutes from my house. It's most of our kids are going to go division, play Division three hockey. Um, but it's a lot of fun. Like I said, it's, a, it's kind of a learning. The first year was a lot of learning. You know, I didn't, I never coached before really. So, um, but I had a great group of kids that you know worked hard. And sometimes you got to take a step back because you know the way I think is. You know, not even close to the way they think. So, um, it was definitely a learning, learning curve for myself last year. But I really enjoy it. And um, after having a couple of kids go to college last year, you know, it makes you feel good knowing that you, you know, hopefully help them out to get there. For sure. Um, you mentioned that you uh, gotten a or pissed off a couple of coaches. Was there one coach in particular that you would like <laughs> argue with or anything like that? Or yeah, I guess the least favorite coach, a little bat, bat head, batted heads with a little bit. Um. You know, I, I for, for the most part, I always had a pretty good relationship with my coaches. But um, a guy named Tom Rowe, who he was with Carolina for a little while, was assistant coach there, and then he was in Florida. I think he's in Austria now. But um, you know, he was kind of a hard nosed coach, and we kind of always bumped heads um, about you know power play. But you know, I was one of those guys that turned the puck over a lot at the blue line and um, really pissed him off with that. So, yeah. uh, but we still have a, a really good relationship. We talk all the time. Time still, but yeah, was he like um, the type he was of coach? The one guy. Was he the type of coach that like wanted you to give it back to him, or like 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 fight back, or because I know that some coaches that they they want you to like kind of they want to see that fight in you that you'll fight back. Yeah, he was he was he was like a hard nosed guy, but he he liked when a guy played with emotion and you know kind of played with his emotion on the sleeve, which is kind of what I did. 
um, you know, a lot different off the ice than I'm on the ice, and I play with a lot of emotion on the ice. So yeah. he really liked that as a player, and, um, you know, he'd give it to me, and I'd give it back to him, and then we wouldn't talk for a day, and then the next day he was like, I love that, you know, type of thing. So um, every coach is different, but um, I always had a pretty good relationship with all my coaches. Yeah, I guess we'll flip that real quick since A.B. just asked about kind of a coach he butted heads with. Is there one coach that kind of sticked out that was maybe your favorite coach your professional career or did have the biggest impact on your game or even personal life? Yeah, it kind of goes back to Tom, uh, Tom Rowe. He was okay. the first coach that gave me the, um, you know, there's obviously a couple that right, helped me right. a lot. lot. But, you know, he was the first guy that gave me an opportunity to play at the AHL level, um, gave me my first contract. So, you know, I owe a lot of my career to him. Like, I don't know if I would have got a deal without him giving me the opportunity. But, um, you know, the biggest thing for me coming out of college, Division Three, and playing high school hockey was I had to become a better rounded player. And, right. you know, he really helped me out. You know, getting better defensively. You know, you're not getting called up to the AHL or the NHL if you can't play both ends of the ice. So, uh, I thought he really helped out with me um, and that aspect of my game, and he really pushed me to get better in the D zone. So that was a big, big part of uh, my career of developing into an all-around player. For sure. So we'll we'll start to wrap it up here. We don't want to keep you too crazy long here over the holidays. So you, you you talked earlier about watching John Carlson the other night. So I'm I'm assuming you still watch a good bit of the NHL and uh, keep good tabs on it. Now you, you got the cup ring with Carolina. You did four years with the Caps, and I believe you played a good bit with the Islanders as well. Is there a certain team you're you're cheering for nowadays when you're watching, or just kind of enjoying the game for what it is? Yeah, well, I I really I root for the the Capitals. Uh, you know, I really have a great time with them for four years, the organization. And uh, my oldest son was born when I was with the Capitals as well. So, you know, kind of have that, you know, in the back pocket type thing. And Yeah, we love to hear that here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, and then, you know, I'm a big Bruins fan growing up, and I wasn't right. really, and I played for 12 years. So I'm, you know, they're on TV all the time, so I end up watching them a lot. But, yeah. um, you know, the two organizations that I, you know, really, I had a lot of fun with that. Played the most in the NHL was, you know, with the Capitals and the Islanders. So I really enjoyed right. watching so that. I root for those two That teams. must have been pretty cool then to see those guys two years ago win that cup and just see the guys that you came in when they were just young kids coming in the NHL and everything and getting their feet and then seeing them achieve, obviously, what they did. Yeah, it was, it was awesome to watch. I was, you know, pumped to see those guys. I, you know, a lot of those guys on that team I still knew with, you know, Carlson and Alzer and Holpe mm-hmm. and um, you know Holpe sent me a bunch of stuff for my kids for Christmas this oh, year awesome. so yeah. um, but those are they're all great guys and I was I was really happy you know they came a long way from when I was there you know right. they you know, it was only a matter of time, I think, for them to, to do it. And they, you know, they kind of figured out how they had to play to, to get there. And, you, you know, they did whatever it took to do it. So, did um, you play with Jay Beagle, too? I did. Yeah. Yep. Great guy. Just awesome. a dog. <laughs> just a total yeah, dog, just, baby. One of, those, one of those guys that you need on a team. For sure. You know, like you're not going to get a lot of, you know, big news from but he's just one of those guys that you need to that's going to go out there and kill penalties block shots and you know every team needs a guy like that the bottom line yeah win your hockey games um well keith coin we thank you very much for hopping on talking caps talking hershey and especially during the holidays here um we greatly appreciate it my man and uh thanks uh thanks for everything thanks guys i appreciate it hopefully i wasn't too rusty for you guys it was an honor to have um, you on yeah for sure man happy holidays and I'll hopefully talk to you guys again sometime. Oh, All for right, sure. Keith, we'll keep sounds it. good, bud. Have a good one. All right. Bye. All right. See ya. All right, guys. We now welcome on awesome guest, 14-year pro, where he won an IHL Rookie of the Year, second-team All-Star and Turner Cup champion in that league. 
Two-time AHL All-Star, nine years in the NHL, including four here in Washington, D.C. with our Caps, and assistant coach for the Team USA Women's Rivalry Series team, uh, Brian Pothier. Brian, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. No problem. So before we get into your time with the Caps and whatnot, why don't you give us a little background on, you know, Brian Pothier himself, you know, growing up in New Bedford, Mass., uh, when you kind of started playing hockey, uh, what kind of really got you into the sport and just kind of take us through that career up to playing at RPI? Sure, sure. I, um, I grew up in New Bedford, Mass., a little blue-collar town up in uh, South Shore, Mass., off the Cape. And, uh, yeah, just out, out on the lake every day, you know, the, I lived on a pond and grew up chasing my older brother around and all his buddies trying to keep up and having just having a lot of fun on the, on the, on the pond, just kind of grew up learning how to skate and, and get stuff done out there. Like I said, chasing, chasing guys that are a lot older than me. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't start till I was a, like, you know, pawn hockey, but I didn't do anything mm-hmm. organized until I was a little bit older. I didn't, I don't think I started till like six or seven. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. And then just slowly went up through the house leagues and then played in the, it, it was a MBHL back in the day. It was a Metro Boston hockey league. It was like one youth hockey league that was that was probably the best league up here, and started playing in that and had a little success and and the team that I played on was awesome, um, and went went kind of progressed through there and played my U14 year with them and then I went on to New Bedford High School just to, like the public high school mm-hmm. and I stayed I stayed there for three years. And then I moved over to Northfield Mont Hermon, which is in the um, the prep league up here. And I stayed there for two years and got recruited, went to RPI and um, played four years at RPI and then jumped into pro hockey. So, yeah, it was kind of a it was it, my town was like a, it's a real Portuguese dominated town. Everybody plays soccer and no one had really ever played ho- hockey at all like our. I was the first kid to really play D1 college hockey, never mind play pro hockey. So it was kind of a, kind of a little, it was fun. It was, it was neat. My, my, my old man would drive me up to Boston and back, you know, three, four times a week plus weekends for practices. And, and, um, so we logged a lot of miles in the car when I was little. Yeah, that's actually pretty interesting because you, you got to think that, or most people have the perception that everybody up there is just kind of starting to play hockey and always playing hockey and those type of sports. I mean, so like you said, four years at RPI. Um, take us through, I mean, you go undrafted but eventually sign with the Atlanta Thrashers. I mean, go through the Thrashers and Ottawa Senators and whatnot. But, I mean, what was that feeling like when you first got picked up by Atlanta there? Yeah, for me, I, my dream, I grew up um, just going to Boston College games, so – all I wanted to do was play college hockey. That was my dream. And I got, I got there and I, I, man, I was having a little bit of success in college. I had had a pretty good rookie year, you know, had a little bit of a off year, my sophomore year, but my junior and senior years at RPI, I, I, I excelled and I got better and, and stronger. And, you know, like I said, pro hockey was just like not even in the stratosphere for me. It wasn't even real, you know, it was like, Oh, that's like, you know, Ray Bork and those guys play pro right. hockey. I'm just a, I'm just a college kid. There's no chance I'm playing any, you know, pro hockey. And then after my junior year, like I said, I had a pretty good junior year at RPI and I started getting phone calls from agents just, and then, 
you know, before you know it, I was interviewing uh, three, four, five different agents that summer trying to figure out what way I was going to go. And, you know, and then, you know, when they started believing that I could play pro hockey or else they wouldn't be in my living room, right? So right. so I started saying, like, hey, maybe maybe, maybe they're seeing something. That, Damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and honestly, like, it's not even in your brain. I think kids grow up nowadays – and they're programmed to be like, oh, I'm going to be in the NHL. And they don't right. even care about college, right? Like that's, just, but for me and the, the, first the landscape. They put on skates are thinking pro hockey. Totally, totally. And that, and maybe I was just a little bit of a weird kid or something, but I think growing up in like college hockey was everything back when I was little. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, like we went to the Connie Forum all the time to watch BC and, and that was back when like Craig Janney and all these guys were playing. So it was awesome hockey. Um, and I, I had the privilege of having a guy by the name of Ed Rossio, um, who was my youth hockey coach, who captained at BC. And he kept he came right out of BC and was our youth hockey coach. So it was like just dreamy. So, um, yeah, so college hockey was all I really was hoping for. And when I realized that, hey, maybe you can take a run at this thing and just see if I can play a year or two and mm-hmm. see how it goes. And, you know, I got I – got, an opportunity to sign with Atlanta and, and had a lot of success. My first year, we won the Turner cup and I, I got rookie of the year in the IHL. And it was just like totally dreamy season. You know, we're, we're, we're in Orlando and it's like, right. We'd have, yeah, we'd have like a, you know, a Thursday, Saturday series on the road in Houston and then fly home Sunday morning and golf all day. And then like, you know, have our stakes by the pool at night. I was just like, you're just sitting there like, how the hell did I get here? And what? (laughs) Yeah. You know, the the whole time, all I could think about was like, I know this is, there's no way that this is reality. Like this, this is just a little snapshot in time. I'm not going to be able to replicate this. This is not pro hockey. This is like fairy tale. You know, It, it was just crazy. So I mean, you kind of talk about that, just kind of not being reality and then digressing, too, to talking about guys like dropping names like Bork. I mean, those first few years in Ottawa and Atlanta, you played with some legendary names like Alfredson, Hosa, Chara. I mean, Danny Heatley. I mean, talk about playing with those guys. Is there anything you really remember from any of those individuals specifically that kind of stuck with you throughout you know, the remainder of your career? Yeah, um, for me, I was – in Atlanta, which was literally the first season, the inaugural season was a 2000 season. And, um, I was in the minors. I got called up here and there. And then my second year, I ended up getting traded at the end of the second year. And I was in a really good position in Atlanta. I was growing and I was learning the game. I was, I felt like I, they, they, they appreciated like what I could be and they mm-hmm. saw something in me and they were giving me some, you know, some rope and I played some big minutes and it was good. And, um, and so I was in the depth chart, I was right in the mix. And then I got traded to Ottawa who just won the president's trophy, who was like all those names you just mentioned. I was like, I'm buried. I'm never going (laughs) to play in the NHL again. That was it. I was like, I can't believe that just happened. And I ended up going from like, you know, three, four, five on the depth chart to like 12. I was like, Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I'm just buried. And, um, when you get up there, it just, it just, I went to the minors right away and just kind of had to fight my way through it. But sitting on the bench and watching some of those guys that you mentioned, it, it just like the one guy that really stuck out for me was Wade Redden. Okay. He was, cause he was very similar player to what I hoped to be at some point. He was just a really, you know, mobile kid. He great puck mover. He had a knack for just throwing pucks to the net, scoring goals. And 
he just his brain was just really really high end and um yeah i just watched you know i catch myself on the bench at times just being a being a fan and just being like my goodness this guy's unbelievable and you know playing keep away with daniel offertson after after practice or something and it's just like you know, I feel like a mite playing against an NHL. I'm like, just, just toying with me, you know? So it's just, right. but. yeah, for sure. I mean, so summer of 06 comes around free agent. I mean, I don't want to say you really have full control of choosing where you want to go. Seeing as that, I mean, in that case, every single team in the league would want to sign you and have to go through all that. But I mean, that's when you came to DC was where the caps kind of a place you had high on your list of teams. Um, and then, I mean, maybe did you choose the Caps over other offers during that offseason? I mean, what was the selling point, really, that brought you here? Well, there's a few teams that were actually in the mix. I, I had a decent year in Ottawa, and I just was like a really good utility guy. I was like a good five right. five or six and just kind of second power play guy. And and it, it, was, it was, you know, I ended up having, having a decent amount of interest. And all the cities that were interested were like big cities. And I'm... And I'm kind of a small town guy. I, I just I'm 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 very simple and very practical. And I I'm, I'm sort of I, I like to fly under the radar. And I had just the thought of uh, so I spent some time in D.C. in like Alexandria area, and I loved it. And it was it's a kind of town where you you know you weren't going to get New York City attention or Boston right. attention or Philadelphia or those big Montreal those crazy cities. And it's and the thing that I loved about uh, Washington at the time was just the youth. And and we, I was in Ottawa, and they had just drafted Ovechkin, right? And it was his rookie year, and he was just like, I mean, our whole lights out that year, (laughs) yeah, like yeah, our whole pre scout was just like, listen, this kid is the real deal. I know he's young, but we got to take care of this kid. He'll score three on us for sure. You got to take care of the kid. And, and just watching them play and they were loose and they were free and, and Hallen was the coach and, um, and they just, they were just a bunch of kind of guys who were just journeymen. And then they had a couple little nice pieces that were coming in and, and it was just seemed like a really cool place, a good, a good place to, to start over for myself. And um, an opportunity to be part of something that you knew was going to be great in the future. Right. But, you you know, they certainly weren't that year. They I think they ended up 70 points in last place. Yeah, in the it, was, league, it was a struggle that year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you could see that sure. man, it was going to be a fun place to play eventually. And um, and yeah, so those are all the things that kind of kind of reeled me in. And um, yeah, we, we ended up jumping, jumping over to, to D.C. Yeah. You mentioned that. I mean, Ovi, I mean, you kind of came in right there with the young guns there. I mean, it's like you said, the young rookies, it's Mike Green, it's Simmons. I mean, the year after, it's Nick Backstrom. But you had the mix of the veteran leadership and Clark Kolzik, uh, Fedorov, Kozlov even was on that team. I mean, when you first got there, how was that locker room with that mix of guys? I mean, at the point, I mean, you see, you see the skill guys like Ovi and Backstrom and kind of how did they mesh with the, the veteran leadership and how did they kind of keep that room, I guess, together and move forward from there with developing those guys? Yeah, our our room was great. We had a really good rebuild kind of room. We had some guys who were just like phenomenal leaders. Like Ole Kolzig to this day is one of the, you know, one of the best leaders that I've ever played with or for. Chris Clark, I put right in the top top of that list too. Right. Dying, just a phenomenal human being. 
And those two guys alone are just to have a presence and they had the respect of the young guys and they were able to sort of teach the young guys how to be a pro, how to show up every night, be consistent, give it in practice. Like Clarkie was the epitome of work. Like he showed up, he was the first one at the rink, first one on the ice, shooting more pucks than anyone else, working harder than anybody else. He just got it done by example and he didn't say a whole lot. And it was just understood that this guy knows how to lead people. And, you know, uh, playing for guys like that, Ovi, Backstrom, you know, uh, all those young guys, you're, you're, you know, and then, and then when Brooks Light came up and, right. uh, and you, he, you played and, with him in Ottawa too, I believe. So that kind of helped you with your familiarity with the team and having a guy, you know, I guess. Yeah, I did. I did. I had a brief time with, uh, with Brooks there and, and then it was nice when I got to DC, it was, a, it's not always nice to see a familiar face for sure. I mean, at that time, did you, I mean, like you mentioned when you were doing the pregame stuff uh, in Ottawa against Ovi, you kind of, everybody realized the talent, but I mean, even when you came over there, did you see that? Like, and did you kind of think he would turn into the world-class guy he, uh, I mean, became today? I'll be brutally honest with you. I, I saw him and I saw the way he played hockey and I said, this guy is unbelievable. He's like a freak of nature. Like he's, he's just Mm-hmm. You know, he's just he's, he's just made different than everybody else. But there's no way he can play like this. Like he's gonna be, he's gonna his career is gonna be over by the time he's 25, 26. He's, right. he's just gonna run out of gas. There's huh. no way you can play that hard every night and for 82 games and 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 have a you know 20 year career or 15 year career for that matter. Right, with the speed and physicality and everything he kind oh, of brought man, to the table. Just, absolutely, like everything is all in. You know. And, and, you know, I just watch in awe still, and I'm just like, my goodness, this guy just, def- he just defies, you know, every <laughs> physical law of nature <laughs> that you could even think of. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, yeah. You just, you know, he just kind of, like I said, he's just built different. He's just like a, he's a specimen, man. He sure. physically is just a special human being. I mean, you mentioned watching him now. Do you still watch a lot of NHL? I mean, kind of, if you do, you got a preferred team you cheer for, just kind of enjoy it for what it is. I, you know, to to this day, I'm I'm a big Washington Capitals fan. I still cheer for the Caps, and um, you know, I've always been a Bruins fan. Even playing for the Caps, I'm still right. interested in the Bruins. Oh, yeah, growing just, up there and being a fan. Yeah, absolutely. Like when, you know, when we played, um, just watching the black and gold warm up down the other end, sure. it was like just a f- surreal, right? Like I'm just like, where I'm actually <laughs> playing in the, oh man, I'm like in the garden right it's now. Like, holy crazy. shit. Like this is, I'm in the garden yeah. right now. I'm skating, but I'm not with my <laughs> homegrown Bruins. Um, I it's mean, crazy, yeah. like you said, you watch the caps, you cheer for the caps then. So I believe former teammate Todd Reardon, how do you think he's doing as a bench boss now? Yeah. He's like, obviously he's, he's, he's exceptional. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm not there firsthand to watch him do right. his thing, but you know, word on the street, everybody I talk to is just like, yo, he's he's got the goods. He's it's, he's he's great at what he does. The, the he's he, he toes that line of like having um, just the respect of his players, but still letting them do their thing and not feeling like they're controlled. He just has this really great balance, and um, and the guys play for him. And and um, you know, it's a tough 
tough situation to jump into right after you win the cup and then all of a sudden you get the keys to the car it's like whoa it's like yeah it's a tough here, take this follow, ferrari right? and try not to crash yeah. it <laughs> pretty exactly. much exactly so exactly it's you, tough for sure so a couple years later i think is 2008 you suffered that concussion that i believe was off that lucci hit i mean i think at that point it was the fourth of your career i mean that one resulted in that 14 month hiatus from hockey and uh, concussions being the reason your career, I think, eventually came to an end later down the road. So I kind of want to gauge your thoughts on the current state uh, concussions in terms of how the league has handled them over the past 10 years with the protocols, uh, new equipment, anything like that. I think the the NHL has made a really nice effort to, to try to up player safety. You know, I think it's clear that they've made a huge, you know, push for for respect amongst peers and players and if you throw an elbow or you go take a headshot it's it you're gonna you're, you know you're gonna be missing a few games and a bunch of money um you know and I, I i appreciate that part of it you know you you get guys who are continually getting bigger continually getting faster continually getting stronger and give them equipment that shoots the puck harder that is you know is is lighter and quicker and man, it's just a recipe for the impacts to just be even more profound. And so add all that together and, and like the game, even though they've taken out a lot of the clutching and the grabbing, a lot of, like, a lot of that clutching and grabbing is what slowed the game down enough where there right. wasn't impacts where it was insane. Now you can't hold a guy up. Yeah, you, you, can't, you, pin it, the, you can't pin him up or it's just exactly. get off you, of him and get going. You chip up. I'm skating backwards. You're skating forward right at me, and you chip a puck by me. We're racing to the corner. I can't hold you up. I can't in, in, in interfere in any way. And we're going back. And you, all you're trying to do is just kill me, like flat out. Right. You're just trying to run me over. And so, you know, I think that when they changed the rules back in, I think, 05, it was just, it was really tough for the D to adjust. And that's why I think you see in these, these real mobile D now who can go back and make plays because. If you don't, I mean, you're just you're just gonna get run over all night. So it's uh, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting how it's played out. But I but I feel like they've done a they've they've worked hard. I mean, there's no, I mean, it's a physical game with contact and there's emotions. There's there's sticks and pucks and, it's and always a lot going of to stuff. be fast regardless. Uh, being on ice yeah. and skating. I mean, even when there's a bang bang play in how they handle it now where that guy's immediately off the ice into the locker room and getting looked at. But kind of something I'm curious about when it, in terms of the concussions, is there anything that the league does for guys that may have had serious injuries um, in their post careers with handling maybe the concussion symptoms and whatnot that comes along with that? I haven't had any, um, like I, I, when I, when I, I decided to go to Switzerland to finish my career overseas mm -hmm. and I went over there and I was healthy for a couple of years and then I ended up having an injury and because of the, the way the, the government's set up and the insurance things are set up, like they, they worked really hard to make sure that I was functional and on point before I was like dismissed, you know what I mean? Right. And they really made sure that that was on point. Now I, I didn't have that experience in, in the NHL because I didn't, I didn't leave the game or leave the country on those or terms, the NHL on those terms. Exactly. I, I was a healthy player that just couldn't find work gotcha. and see you later, kid, you know, thanks for coming. <laughs> and, and that's fine. But I, I, for the guys who, who end their career with an injury, I can't speak for them. I have no idea what that infrastructure sort of looks like for, for those guys. I hope, that their teams in the league 
look after them. I, I, I really don't know, though. Gotcha. So post-playing career, like you said, you're done in Switzerland. Um, how quickly did you get into coaching? Was it kind of a right, right, did you jump right into it or did you take some time off yourself and just kind of settle down, enjoy retirement? Because, I mean, we'll get into you now coaching the USA women's team, but how quick of a transition was that for you? Well, for me, I, I ended up with a with an injury. And so I had a really difficult time coming back with a head, another head injury. Right. And all the visual issues and the vertigo issues, and I had a lot of just the visual problems. Um, and when I came back, those were all right at the forefront. So I had, I had probably a year and a half of like pretty intense therapy oh, wow. that um, that tried. I you know I got to the point where I'm walking up and down to the mailbox to get my mail, and that's like all I can do without without uh, being on the couch for a couple of days, you know, and then eventually I, I walked down the street and then I jogged down the street and then I, and okay. I kept progressing and going to therapy and working my way to a point where I was, you know, I was fairly functional. And now I can, you know, as, as far as anyone can tell, for the most part, I'm kind of a normal guy. Right. So during um, that time, you know, actually, sorry to interrupt. Did, nope. I mean, when you were going through those issues, uh, post-career, did you, did at any point did any kind of regret set in maybe, not, I mean, obviously you're not going to have any regret going playing pro hockey, but I mean, maybe just the thought of the physicality and playing that physical of a game for that long. And uh, I think when you're in it, you you you're so excited to be a part of it, and you're willing to lay your body on the line to to play and be right. part of it. It's something you dreamed about since forever. And and you know, when you're 25, 30, 35, even don't you're think like, about you know, later on. Yeah, you're still invincible, right? And I'm 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 42 now, and I'm I'm not an old man by any stretch, but you know you you hope that all those incidents don't don't come to roost too quick. I'd like to right. be able to be you know be functional and and not you know I I'm sure at some point this stuff will catch up to me, but for the most part, like I've I've worked really hard lifestyle wise, like sleeping enough, eating right, going, making sure I'm at the gym. Like I really have to manage myself really okay. well right now. And if I don't, then all that stuff will come back to the forefront pretty quick. Okay. But, um, but I, but you know, through lifestyle management, I'm, I'm, I'm able to stay fairly functional, which is pretty cool. So, so it's almost maintaining that same physical, the physical attributes and whatnot as when you were in the league and competing on a night, night to night basis. Yeah, I, th I think it's um, you know like my nervous system is pretty pretty mangled, right? So um, the the kind of the kind of work I'm doing now is not nearly as intense and as right. you know you know obviously to be to play at that level you just right. got to be all in. And I'm trying to like part of the management of of health is is knowing when to rest, which I never knew how to do. Right? It was right. always zero to a hundred all the time. The switch is on you, no matter what. You know, yeah, and it's old school mentality where it's like if I'm not working, then somebody else is. They're gonna take my job. Right, oh right. my goodness! <laughs> right. And it and that mindset's changed a lot. Like the kids nowadays that come up, they really get how important it is to rest and recover. And and you know we just didn't do that back then. We just kind of beat ourselves up. Right. So like you mentioned, work nowadays. Uh, USA women's team uh, assistant coach currently in the rivalry series versus Canada, two nothing leading that. Might I add? So I guess kind of tell us first how you got into coaching and with that USA women's team and uh, just how the rivalry series is going currently. 
Sure, sure. Uh, well, what happened? Like I said, I was I was at home, kind of just working my way through a bit of a rehab stint, trying to get myself functional again. And then I had uh, some family friends that had kids, and they were like, "Hey, come on, come on the ice and just come and play shinny with us. Just, it just might be good for you to kind of get out there and just feel the puck again." And and so I did, and it was great, and it was awesome. And and then he's like, "Hey, if you want to come and work with the kids a little bit, like you know, do a couple of drills, that would be really cool." And, and so I did. And next thing you know, he's got 10 and 15 kids on the ice. And, and before you know it, I got a group and he's like, Hey, what if I do a summer group? And we, <laughs> and we start this thing. And, and, and so from that sort of was the, the business, uh, was born that I'm in now. And, um, and it's been great. It's kind of organically grown and, um, and, um, and I've sort of niched out on, on D specific stuff, which is, which has been really fun. And through that, Reagan Carey, who is the director of the women's national team, the GM um, at the time, she had called me and asked if I'd come in and be in, and work with the girls and sort of be a camp coach and do some skill development mm-hmm. stuff with them. And so I did that on and off for a few years. And then after the last Olympics, Reagan had messaged me and said, Hey, why don't you come down for another camp? And, and, um, and I did. And, and then she asked me if I would like to, get on the bench and and it was a good time it was right for my family it was right it was the right time for me and the the business that i was in so i jumped on and it's been you know it's been fun it's been a lot of fun yeah and um my the head coach for the national team now is um of of bob corkum who was on the same team as uh todd reardon and myself we were all in atlanta together which is oh, wow. which is kind of funny. The familiarity so, there, and it all kind of plays in. I mean, you mentioned zero to one hundred earlier in the playing career, but that sounds like the coaching career too, from a couple kids to these world class <laughs> women hockey players. Um, I mean, do you see this kind of rivalry series with Canada? I mean, I know they do it. I think every year. Do you see it as kind of huge to the growth of the women's game and kind of a critical component in the continued growth of it and getting into a, a point to where it kind of needs to be? A lot of people see. Yeah, I'm 100%. You know, in, in years past, they had the Four Nations tournament, which is uh, Sweden, Finland, uh, U.S. and Canada, and we'd have it everywhere. Um, you know, every year a, a country would take take it and run with it. And this year, uh, the Swedish team had a situation where they're, they were sort of boycotting and they had some funding issues. And so the Four Nations tournament got canceled. And so we had done a rivalry series last year in the winter. And so we just, um, we extended it and we kind of blew it up and it was phenomenal. Um, NBCSN got involved and some, um, I, I believe it was Comcast. Uh, I'm not sure, but it, but it was great. Some TV and, and just exposure. Right. And it was phenomenal for the girls. And that's exactly what they need. Like nobody really understands the girls game because they don't get to watch it all that much. But when you actually get on the ice with these women, man, you it's it's pretty impressive it's, it's quick it's fast it's, it's the same yeah. as uh, guys playing at that the highest of level possible um yeah they they can really they can really play you know you see uh at the all-star game last year the girls showed up and kendall coin and just smoke everyone just, <laughs> yeah you can just see like you know nobody would think that she could get out there and hang with the big boys but she man the girl can scoot and really she can so it's it was it was a great it was just phenomenal exposure for the game. So 
coaching now, is there any coaches that you had, um, I guess, in your professional playing career or prior that kind of really made an impact on you that you maybe try to emulate now as a coach yourself and kind of maybe take those same antics or preparations or anything that a coach did for you and that you kind of try to use now? Yeah, you know what? It's it's a it's a mishmash of every coach that I've had. Okay. Like some of the guys that I respected the most was I had a um, John Paddock was a coach in Ottawa that I had, and Brian Murray was another coach in Ottawa that I had. Jacques Martin, and obviously in uh, Washington, Bruce Boudreaux. I I, right. I I love the way he would prepare our group. He always had his you know keys to the game on the board, and he just had these little things that he would do that would I, I think would set our minds in the right in the right state for the game. And I and I love the process that he used. And so yeah, you'd pull things like that off right. and and the as, demeanor. As many F bombs as Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we hit the, the you know the mute button on those for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I tone it down a little bit for sure. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, like John Paddock was just a really composed coach. He was just right. stoic behind the bench, and he was always confident. And I really loved the way he he handled the bench. And and so yeah, you just pick and and um, and then you add your own spice to it too. You know, like my personality obviously is very different than Bruce or John or Brian mm-hmm. or any of those guys. So you you add your own personality to it as yeah, well. Just kind of morphing your own style to a style that you saw work. Uh, for you personally, and then hopefully comes up with a winning recipe. So kind of last thing here, because we don't want to keep you forever, and we do greatly appreciate you coming on. It's been an awesome talking to you, but you kind of brought it up earlier, but the Pothier Blue Line Hockey Camp, youth development, um, just kind of talk us through that real quick, the benefits it provides young players, uh, what type of stuff you work on with these kids. I mean, is it all on ice or some off ice, maybe some mental training, personal training? Kind of talk us through your program there. Yeah, so so I have you know a bunch of different programs at different times but the one that i really kind of is my baby is i have like the summer academy where i have i'll have six different groups seven different groups that run through the summer but but just one group will be two hours on tuesday two hours on thursday and then in between all those like on ice sessions like after the session or before the session depending on the groupings i'll have um, Julie Nicoletti, who's the Bruins nutritionist, she'll come down and, and consult with the kids and talk to them about, you know, how to properly fuel. And then I'll have um, a couple of uh, sports psychologists come in and do the same thing, a strength and conditioning coach come in and do the same. Um, and then we do five or six different video sessions as well. So how I do it is if I have like just let's just say we're going to do one-on-ones today that's sort of the theory of the day is like one-on-one form and mm-hmm. shape and how to how to handle or attack a one-on-one we'll take that in the video room first we'll break down the video we'll we'll get real technical and then we'll carry that out onto the ice so we we get them visually and then we get them on the ice and and we get them to you know rehearse that and sort of get the, get the muscle memory and and just having that visual cue from the video, I, f- I find it to be really helpful with the kids. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the summer program that we run. And that, you know, I go from every age group from, you know, this year, geez, we're getting young. It's crazy. <laughs> it's like 2012s we'll have, or 2011s we'll have this year as our first group. Jeez. And we'll work all the way up through, 
um, some college kids right. and different things. I mean, like just that, so. just kind of hearing everything you mentioned that you provide psychology training. I mean, nutritional training. I mean, just to think of everything that's available in this day and age in terms of training a hockey player compared to even 10 years ago. I mean, not even thinking about 10, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, it's just all that that goes oh, into man. making a successful hockey player. Like you said, it's, this helps the kids from not always being zero to a hundred. Honestly, it's just a different planet. You know, the kids now are just, they, everyone has their own skating coach by age 10 and they right. have their own hands coach and they, Oh, they go see the, the shooting coach and then they go a D specific camp and then they go to the, it's, it's, uh, it honestly is, unbelievable sometimes i feel like it's overkill and the kids yeah, just i was gonna ask fun if, play, at some you know? point you think that's too much yeah so it's you know some kids are like some kids will will come and do my program and i've designed the program so it's not too much like i right. it's only two it's two skates a week and you know there's other programs out there that two just, a day they, for a week they, yeah they just bury the kids and and that's you know it is what it is but but then they go and play like tournaments on the weekends and they do, Oh, it's just crazy. The eight days a week on the ice almost. Yeah. The tournament hockey is really crazy. It's sure. um, every weekend you can find a tournament to play. <laughs> so it's just, it's finding that balance about, Hey, listen, the summertime is a time to build, but it's also a time to recharge. Like if you, and if you don't recharge, you're going to hit September and you're just going to feel depleted. You're not going to be hungry. You're not going to be sharp. And ultimately, over if you do that over the course of your you know youth hockey career, you're you're just gonna burn out. Develop and yeah, you're just not gonna yeah for sure. You're not gonna develop at the pace you could or you need to. Right. Well, Brian, we greatly appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. Uh, it was good talking to you and everything. Great to hear about your career and the stories and just being here in D.C. and everything. And um, like I said, greatly appreciated. We wish you the best and the the rest of the rivalry series and everything moving forward. Thanks. So appreciate it, man. I had a good time. No problem. Have a good one. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right, guys. We now welcome on very special guest, first NHL player to join the pod, actually. So pretty cool. Former Carolina Hurricane, Tampa Bay Lightning, 2001 NHL All-Rookie Team, 20 goals, 24 assists, 44 points. Not bad. WHL East, first team All-Star, and finally... AHL Rookie Team, First Team All-Star, and Dudley Garrett Memorial Award winner. Most Outstanding Rookie, Shane Willis. Shane, thanks uh, for hopping on while we're here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for coming out, guys. Yeah, so we're here. Um, we're at the Carolina, the Hurricane Sled Hockey event here. It's a casino night charity um, benefiting that team. So you kind of want to give us a first kind of rundown of what the event's all about? Well, I think it's just one of those opportunities for the Carolina Hurricanes to join up with a great group of people who continue to want to try and grow the game in all areas the nhl is a big facet of hockey is for everyone and these guys do a great job from youth to adults putting guys in the sleds letting them play sled hockey and give them a great opportunity each and every week to practice continue work on their skills and then get out to some great tournaments like disabled fest and the nhl tournament for all sled hockey players right so, and, uh, go, go, go ahead. i think one of the main themes here tonight is that like what we keep uh catching on is hockey is just more more than just a game for us, especially for these sled hockey guys. It's, a, it's almost like a lifestyle, and it, it just helps them get through any any issues that they have. I know for me, like, I just, like when I'm on the ice, it's everything goes away, and I'm just playing hockey, and I'm sure that's, that's what it is for everyone here. Yeah, there's so many great stories, like I said, from the youth players that are out there that are enjoying the sport of hockey to some ex-military guys that we have on our teams and things they've gone through in their lives to – 
be able to see how the game of hockey helps them continue to keep that smile on their face and kind of forget everything you know, bad that's going on in their life to get out there, be part of a team. I think that's huge right. as we all grew up playing on hockey teams. It's such a great atmosphere to hang out with your buddies, be in the locker room right. and to see all these people here, men and women too. We have a lot of women playing sled hockey here as well to continue to grow and enjoy it as much as a stand-up player does or a player in the national right. hockey it's league. It's like, it's about the camaraderie. Right. And to build on that, um, you say hockey's a lifestyle. I mean, for us three sitting here, I mean, obviously you're a little more than us. We grew up playing hockey. Um, me yep. and him grew up playing together. We started on the roller rink when we were five, six years old. We grew up. We competed for state championships together. But we see hockey as a lifestyle differently than they see hockey as a lifestyle. Because as we've talked to a few people here, it's a lifestyle because it's saved their lives um, for a lot of these guys. And it's interesting to hear those stories. But to build on what you said, too, getting girls into sled hockey. I know you work with the Canes uh, Youth Development or amateur programs and building the game. So you started, I think, back in 2011 around that. What was it like then compared to now? I mean, in terms of the sport and numbers around here in Raleigh. Yeah, we've seen tremendous growth here, not only on the male side, but definitely on the female side. I think if we looked at all the numbers around the league, we'd be in the top five of female growth here in North and South Carolina with the hurricanes and the surrounding area. But I think when I started, obviously, there was a great platform in place already. The Hurricanes winning the Cup in 06 really kind of catapulted hockey here in the South, getting more and more numbers. And that's really been our goal, continue to grow the base. Six, seven, eight-year-old players to continue to grow, get your numbers at the lower levels, and then continue to develop elite hockey players. I think we've seen a couple of players from here drafted in the past few years, including Rod Brindamore's son, Skyler, oh, who was awesome. drafted by the Oilers. Glenn Wesley's son, obviously, is in the hurricane system. Yep. Um, so we're starting to see these players develop and now get into the NHL draft, which is exciting. Um, but overall, I think the Learn to Play program the NHL has put in place in all 31 cities has been huge. Uh, we've named ours the Carolina Hurricanes First Goal Program. We just finished our summer sessions with 894 brand new hockey players ages 5 to 9. So if we continue to do that year after year, it's just going to continue to grow. And then, you know, in the back of my mind and the people that work with me, is there ever a chance that one of these young players name gets called first overall in the National Hockey League draft. Right. I think that's one of our, our biggest dreams to see here in North Carolina. So you mentioned that Stanley Cup run in 06. Do you see that as a big spike in terms of numbers? I mean, even just past year, this, when the Canes went to the Eastern Conference Finals, do you see championships and big-name players play a key part in that? Because, I mean, we like I said, we grew up in D.C. area. It's Hockey was hockey. We started early, but when the Ovechkin era started is when it it blew up. Blew up, yep. obviously. Yeah, I think it directly influences numbers. I think we saw it in 06, a big jump after the Hurricanes won yep. the Stanley Cup. And then obviously the run last year, going to the conference finals before losing the Boston. The energy in the city. We got a bit city, of a bone to pick with you. Yeah, about that. Hey, we'll it's talk about good. that later. <laughs> the energy in the city and everything that came was coming out of the schools, the kids, in our local facilities. I remember when I started working here in 2011, you'd walk into the local rinks and they were painted blue and they were painted gray and you'd see the Crosby jerseys you see the Ovechkin jerseys and over the years as the Hurricanes continue to win and get better and get players like Sveshnikov, Sebastian Ajo and these young players are developing it's totally changed and now it's all red and white and they're all studs there's so much passion here now in the city the rinks are all now on part of the Hurricanes put money in they're all painted red the logos are up the players pictures are there now and I think now we've really started to see that development of these young players that the Carolina Hurricanes are their favorite players. They don't talk about Crosby, Ovechkin, right, and these guys anymore. Connor McDavid, which they're outstanding players, and our kids know that. 
but their favorite players are Carolina Hurricanes. Right, like Ajo, he's he's got to be the guy now, right? Yeah, he's definitely the guy along with, and, you know, Svechnikov. And you mentioned that 2006 along. team. You bring a guy back from that team, Justin Williams, who obviously people were like clicks in their brain that, oh, he's coming back. So another thing, speaking on growing the growth of the game, I, you, I, I read an article you talking about the growth of women's hockey. Um, I know at the prep school I coach at, this past year we started our first ever women's hockey team. We had one girl that play, ever played hockey in her life. The rest was field hockey teams. Would you almost consider that the most important aspect of growing youth hockey in today? Because, I mean, you're obviously going to get the male participation, but in terms of female growth, do you see that as an overall youth? Yeah, I think it's a huge component of seeing more growth in any city, really. You look at the boys and, you know, in the cities like D.C., Boston, Toronto, all the boys are going to go play hockey. That's what they do. But to get girls interested in and then really building a proper pathway at their younger ages when they're playing with boys, they say, that, oh, that's fun. But there becomes a time when you have to have a path set in place, which we've been able to do here with the Carolina Hurricanes and the Junior Hurricanes, to put in place to have all girls teams for them to feel comfortable, continue to have that camaraderie in a female atmosphere, compete at a high level, and then kind of show them the path. I mean, there's a lot of Division One schools, Ivy League schools that have scholarships in their hands right. for young women to come play hockey there. And we know the women's league, the professional women's league is, you know, on a break on a hiatus right now. But they're driven to get it back to where they want it to be. And I think it's a huge part of our game that you'll see the National Hockey League continue to take more and more interest in in these upcoming years to try and help them get to that level. Right. Incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, speaking of the growth of hockey, let's just, I mean, get into you. I mean, you're, you're an Alberta guy. Uh, you grow up. I'm sure you started skating at half a week old. Yeah, on the ponds. <laughs> on the ponds. <laughs> so... We, you we, started, don't get, we don't get ponds down here. Sometimes. It's got to be a good summer. <laughs> yeah. Or a good winter, I should good say. Good winter. Real good winter. So, real good winter. So... You start playing. When was your really first season that you kind of realized you started playing at a high competitive level and you kind of thought to yourself, maybe I got a chance at, you know, playing hockey full time? Well, I think the first kind of thought in my brain as you grow up in Alberta, you're watching the Oilers dynasty. Wayne Gretzky is your hero. Uh, was when I was 14. Uh, they have the Bantam draft in the Western Hockey League. Yep. I wasn't picked in the Bantam draft, but the next day I was called by a local scout from Swift Current and he said, hey, we didn't select you in the draft, but after the draft is over, we're allowed to put X amount of players on our protected list. We've put you on that list. We're going to invite you to camp and all these things. And when he called the house, he asked to only talk to me. And I'm like, okay, great. What am and I, I hang up the phone. Yeah, my dad goes, who is that? And I said, I don't know, some scout said I'm on Swift Current's uh, roster now. And he goes, what does that mean? So now we have to go to research. But from there and talking with our local guy who knew everything about the league and all that, he's like, you know, if you're really going to chase this, now's the time to try and play, you know, higher end right. AAA hockey. So I drove 15, 20 minutes into the local city, played there, started playing a high level before I made the Western Hockey League. And I think, you know, my first year, I think going in as a rookie in your in the Western Hockey League, I was 17. I didn't stay in as 16-year-old. That's my draft year. And that rookie year was Prince Albert? Yeah, and Prince Albert. An outstanding season. I think I that's mean, that year was of, 43 points in 65 games. Yeah, I mean, you kind of realize that this is a chance. There's a lot of guys on our team that were going in the first round, and I'm like, my name was never in the first round, but I think you're always sitting there and you know. You're playing with these guys. Yeah, you're playing with these yeah. guys. You're scoring. You're on their line. But you know when that list is coming out, when they're ranking every player. Yeah. And it was in the old hockey news. You remember the hockey right, news? Right. It was a paper. Yep. We'd run to the store, get the hockey news. You start flipping. Start flipping the pages. Through the first round. No, through the second round. And all of a sudden you get, and there's your name. And you're oh like, man, that's it. What do I got to do? I'm grabbing you know, I'm in, I'm running I'm in the, the top 100 yeah. in North America. And now you realize now it's that. That's that extra spark. You're in the gym more. You're pushing harder. Right. Can you get there? And you know, I was to lucky realize enough, your potential. The first time I was drafted, it was in Edmonton. 
I mean, the team I grew up watching were in there in the Coliseum in Edmonton. My entire family were an hour away. They were all there. So that was '95, right? Yeah, the entry draft. By I mean, Tampa. that's that's kind of uh, an interesting thing too, because like you said, you're drafted by Tampa, but you don't come to terms. I mean, how does that work? Because you 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 don't come to terms, but you go back to the Western League. Um, but then again, two years later, you get back into the draft. Because I mean, nowadays it's you don't get drafted. I mean, it's the whole the Tyler agent. Johnson yeah. situation. You're a free yeah. agent. You can't just jump back. So the draft. players so now have a little bit out? of a better scenario with the new CBA and things like that where they become yeah. free agents. Back then, I was really the first group of guys. You have two years to sign a professional contract, and if you didn't sign, you would go back in the draft. So we were the first wave, and you know, you're know you taking all the advice from your agents. You're looking at what the guy in the second round ahead of you signed for, right. all these numbers, and it just didn't seem to add up. And I'm taking their advice. They're like, we should go back in the draft. And I'm like, okay. You know, that's what we're going to do. Okay, yeah. you're, you're, you're my guy. Tell right. me what to do. So I went back in the draft. And we didn't really get nervous. I had a great year going in, and we had yeah, meetings I mean, with teams. That you got that Tampa year. You go back to the you go back to Prince Albert, and two years there, you put up 137 points. Right. And so after, after that, I was traded by, to Lethbridge. You know, get to go on a run to Memorial Cup, by Carolina. Yeah. The I only mean, scary part of that draft it was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. We're sitting there, and it kind of gets to the third round. And my agent was talking to me, and he said, "I've talked to a lot of GMs, and you know, the MO out there is that any player who came back in the draft is going to fall at least one round." What is your mentality going into that second draft after things went how they went in that first one? I think to see the guys that were being picked, you know that are younger than you, but you're a little bit older and you feel you're better than those players, but you know why they're getting past you. So you're getting a little bit frustrated. The only scary moment we had was when John Tripp, who played in the Ontario Hockey League, got selected again by the same team. Uh, so the Flames selected him again mm-hmm. a round later, and I'm thinking, well, he's done. I mean... They're going to stick it to him because of what he did to them. You know, right. every time Tampa went up there, I'm like, no, 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 no. And so we got past that <laughs> and Carolina's trying to avoid me. that again, situation again. But we'll at the end of the that. day, everything, everything worked out for a reason. And I was given an opportunity to play here with Jim Rutherford and, then, and Paul Maurice. Yeah, and you it was start outstanding. in that, what, 98, 99 season. I mean, what, what, did, what are your emotions walking in that locker room the first time? I mean, you got, you got guys in that locker room like Keith Premio. Uh, Ron, Ron Francis, Francis yeah. Rob the Bob, Paul Coffey. I mean, yeah, even, that was uh, a lot of people. You when you ask around here about guy Paul Coffey, they forget he played there. I mean, he was outstanding to us I, young yeah, guys. Yeah, I, I when he when he put that in the notes, I was like, oh, Paul Coffey played at Carolina. Yeah, he was phenomenal. He used to take us to lunch every day. He's like, come on, kid, let's go for lunch. Let's talk. You know, he'd tell you about stuff when we we're called up, and it was fun. But those guys were all really good to us. Um, and then finally getting the opportunity when I made the team. The, that year going into training camp, it was funny. All the guys, we get to the hotel. It was in Florida. We still had training camp in Fort Myers. So we get to the hotel. Everyone's grabbing their keys. And, you know, we'd all play together the year before. And they're like, oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I get my key. And I'm like, well, who am I with? And no one says anything. I'm like, great. I'm with some, you know, right. maybe some European guy yeah. or some new young kid that's coming in. And so I go up to my room and I open the door and I walk in and ran, Ron Francis is sitting on the bed. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and I'm like. Hello, you know, I go right into best behavior, best behavior, trying not to snore, you know, do you want me to turn the TV off, sir? And he's like, no, you're fine. I'm going to sleep, you know, but he was really good to, to learn from and just watch how much of a professional he was and dedicated to how he played the game and really how talented he was when you got on the ice with him. Right. So your career goes on. Um, and then you hit the 2001 playoffs. I mean, and then the whole situation with the hit, you know, Scott Stevens, Uh, you've said in previous interviews that. You don't look back and think, I should have done this different, I should have done that different, because there's no point in doing all that. I mean, that's kind of the theme we've got here. Yep. These guys, they don't look back on that. Yep. But do you have you ever looked back at that hit and kind of, what are your thoughts on it now, and did it change the way you play any? Because, I mean, that's the biggest thing. I mean, we've taken our hits, but, I mean, 
nothing in that capacity, but did, did that ever change maybe your play style or the way you approach the game? Yeah, I don't think it changed the way I played. I think it weighs on you a little bit. I think there's definitely now when I look back at it, you know, going into the, the next years, there was definitely something that slowed down, you know, the little bit of your mechanics, the speed of your trigger, right. all of those kind of things get shaken up a little bit to try and get back to that. Now, I've talked to the doctors, some of the doctors still around with the hurricanes that were there when I was there, and the progression of how they treat concussions now is so much better. The training to get right. guys coming back is different. You know, basically all we did was sit there and rest. Right, and exactly. And eventually, do you feel better today? Okay, let's go again. But right. now they do so many more testing, different things guys can do right. to get back 17, on 17, 18 years ago, they're not doing any of no. that. Yeah, no. Here it's you're, you're getting pulled you out mid-game and you're lucky to come back yeah. a couple games after with the protocol and everything. But so, it's one of those plays right. that I think you can't, you can't change it. And I think that's one of the things going in. You can't change how you played. And then I was traded the following year to Tampa. You know, I just didn't find my groove there. Right. You know, I didn't connect. You know, I got an opportunity to play with Le Cavalier in yeah, different scenarios. And you just – He's a great player. We just didn't gel together and get clicking like you needed to to stay right. on the team. So, like, and like hockey is a game of split decisions, right? You're always having to make a decision every other millisecond, basically. Yep. Like, were you second guessing yourself after that ever or no? No, I don't think so. I think okay. I was still able to play the same way. And I think it was just, you know, opportunities and um, those there, are the kind of things you get frustrated in how, right. you, how you handle those situations. And I can go back and say there are certain situations when I got sent down, they're like, all right, we're going to stay down for a little bit. It was more frustration instead. Right. You can't pull yourself out of it. There's so many guys in the American Hockey League that could play in the NHL. The always hungry league, and yeah. they just don't. They don't get the opportunity, or they get frustrated, and they just don't do that one or two extra things to get them there. And that's right. just the nature of the game. Yeah. So looking at that trade, actually, um, you get traded to Tampa, the team from the start. What were your thoughts on that? I mean, was there a lot of the same faces in the front office there? Um, what was that situation like? Kind of thinking, uh, yeah, the team that. I started with, but didn't start with, and now I'm getting traded to him. Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed at the time. Obviously, I love playing for the Hurricanes, your first team. You have so much passion. To right. It, so you, you think you're going to retire. Then. That's right. You, you mean, everyone thinks I'm untouchable. They love me here. And yep. then all of a sudden, they call you in and tell you've been traded. I was in Chicago. We stayed there the night. I flew to Tampa the next day and, you know, just kind of get right back up on the horse. We played the Oilers that night in Tampa. Right. Um, but it's funny to say the same kind of guys there. So Phil Esposito drafted me. Huh. He was a GM of Tampa. Wow. He's now doing color on the radio. So he, the first day, you know, media's coming in. He walks right over to me. He goes, see, I told you you should have signed with us. You know, <laughs> and just making light of it, it was very yeah. good. That helps uh, it. You know, John Tortorella was a coach. He was very, you know, hard-nosed, determined. Yeah, we all know pushed her a, certain a lot level. of stories about, yeah. You know, so he pushed the level. There was a lot of great veterans there. Dave Andrzejczyk, I mean, Dave Good Taylor. relationship with Torres. Did he ever get called out by him or anything like that? No, or? not really. I mean, he was honest and to right. the point in video sessions, but I never got so drugged through the mud. You get to that team yeah. there. That's the 3 4 season. That's the season they go win, win the cup. I mean, that's a locker room like you mentioned. The Cavalier, you got St. Louis, Ruslan Fedotenko, Dan Boyle. Yeah. Brad, I mean, Hobby Bullen, Brad Richards, I mean, Conn Smythe winner. Everyone you, always asks me why, who was maybe the difference maker. Like, Nikolai Habibulin might have been the best goalie I've ever played against. Yeah, right? Really. Like, he, And when you see him, the way he worked, not not only off the ice, but when you com- the way he competed in practice. Like, he expected you to shoot as hard as you could every time. Two-on-one drills, he was coming across as hard as he could, even if you were going to hit him in the throat. From he those, didn't care. From those years, that he was my favorite goalie to watch every single time, Habibulin. I was, yeah. And he had a sweet name, obviously. Yeah, he was phenomenal. <laughs> so, w- short time in Tampa there in that season. But could you tell in that time, like, that was going to be a Stanley Cup winning team? I mean, just from 
maybe leadership in that locker room or anything like that? Cause yeah, I think that was that a feeling? big part of it. Um, I was up and down that season between Hershey and Tampa. I played 12 games that year with Tampa. Um, Hershey, baby. Caps affiliate. Yeah. <laughs> um, Tie it in. But I don't know if I could say they were going to win it. They had some down times, but they did have the leadership in there with Dave Andrushuk, Dave Taylor, some of these older guys, um, Jason Cullimore. But they had the dynamic, like – Le Cavalier, Brad Richards, Marty St. Louis, Ruslan Fedotenko yep. scoring some big goals. Yeah, he was and clutching those playoffs. Whenever you look at the playoffs and teams that win the cup, and you look at St. Louis, St. Louis, if you put all the papers on the table, you're not going to be like, well, they're not going to win the cup. I mean, especially looking at them in January. But, dead last. Right. Who gets rolling the right time and has the confidence? When they ask a few of the guys off the team, they're like, when did you guys know you're going to win? They're like, as soon as it started, we knew we were going to win the cup. Like that confidence level going into every single game, it doesn't matter. You can't yeah. stop it. It's like a snowball going downhill. There's no team going to stop it. It's going to roll right over top of you and keep going. And a yeah. lot of times it's not the big guys that score. I mean, you saw Schwartz this year. The only time he would score is when he had a damn hat trick. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even with the Caps, when we won the Cup, I mean, you had your guys producing Kuzi, Ovi, but Devontae Smith. Lars, Lars Eller coming Lars through. Lars Eller. I mean, all that stuff. It's all yeah, about you that. You have your third, your fourth line yeah. grinders. Well, the guy you talk about the team in Tampa, you have guys like Ben Clymer. Chris Dingman. Yeah. Those guys chipping in on the fourth line, scoring huge goals, timely goals to help that team over. What up. seed were they going into that? Do you remember? I mean, I don't think they were high. I don't think they were like one, one, two, or three, but yeah. I think they, they weren't bottom. They, yeah. They're that okay. four or five. I mean, area. once the, the Philly series, watching that one was brutal. Like yeah. Primo was in Philly. Right. I mean, they were big. And I remember just thinking, going mad. Bad boy they, if they can walk out of this rink, they may be able to win the cup. You know, one controversy, if you go all the way back to it. That's the series you need, though. You need that one right. series you don't think you're going to win. If you go to the controversial call, which may have changed in today's game because the video replay right. was the overtime goal by Marty Jelena in Calgary oh, yeah. in game six. You know, did it cross the line? It didn't. There's no video review. They say it didn't go in. They go down the other end and St. Louis scores. Yep. Goes back to game seven and they crush him at home. Yep. Right. So, I mean, like you said, we don't want to keep you too long. You're the man of the hour here. So, let's just finish it up. I mean. Thoughts on the Canes going into the season? I mean, a team that last year a lot of people didn't think would even make the playoffs. They they squeak in. They, they beat, beat the, the Caps. Yeah, the you guys you guys definitely didn't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we did. we overlooked that entire series. Oh yeah, we were like, yo, we're we might. Like, all right, we saw Tampa get swept. We were like, yo, we're gonna go to the Stanley Cup again. Stanley Tampa goes down. We're like, all right, so clear cut to the conference final. We're getting we're getting out of Carolina in four or five. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whoops. I mean, we're thinking of it that way. We got a chance to go back to back here. I mean. That, that run they had last season, back to the conference finals, I mean, Rod Brendamore, incredible coach. I mean, a guy you're familiar with. Um, it, it, was, it was a team of destiny moment, for yeah. I, I feel Justin like, the Williams Hurricanes. comes back, provides that great leadership. I mean, cap legend. We loved him. But coming into this year, Williams has taken that leave of absence. Who knows if he comes back? I mean, re-signed a couple guys, a few changes, not too many. But what's the outlook for this year? Well, I think it's still – very high and very confident to get back to where they were last year. I think, yeah. you know, you mentioned Justin Williams not playing or skating right now at this time. So you have a little bit of a dip in leadership. But I was talking to someone today that he is such a strong leader that every one of those guys in that locker room last year should have learned yeah. how to do that yep. and what to say at those times. And there were so many of those guys listening, like a Jordan Martinuk, Jordan Stahl is still in the room, Jacob Slavin, an outstanding player. So these guys were excited to watch them at practice. Um, they're yeah, fired Slavin's up to get stud, going again. Slavin is unbelievable. Maybe the most underrated defenseman in the league. Yep. Peter Morazic is fired up to get back in the net. I love the additions they made. I love Eric Halla, and I love Ryan Dezingle. Uh, and think, they just picked up Jake Gardner, right? And Jake Gardner. He, I think great. I think without without a fan base that's going to be hauling on him like Toronto, 
he's I think he'll be I think totally, he'll totally agree. I would say there's probably if you went around and polled in Raleigh and asked them what they think of Jay Gardner, they oh, they he's love a great defenseman. No yeah. one knows about game seven in Boston. Right. No, and no, no one cares. Nobody cares. No one cares. He's gonna come in here and be able to relax yep. and have the small groups of medias come through the locker room and leave and he'll be like, Wow, this is awesome. They settle in and so many guys get here and they fall in love with him. When I got traded to Tampa, they're like we hate going into Raleigh to play in the road. It's terrible. And he's like, why do guys stay there? I'm like, because you have to live there. It's, now, it's, it's a passion it's a in the city. That's it's that's that's what we were saying last year during the playoffs. playoffs. We were like, that is one of the most unexpected lattice ranks I've ever heard. It like, was on unbelievable. TV. Yeah. Pierre, uh, Pierre Maguire came up from between the benches in game three against the Caps. And he looked at me and goes, there is nothing this loud right now yeah. in the league. Like, it was just crazy. It was insane. Like Please. even even beat Nashville, like or not beat Nashville, but Nashville, like Carolina and Nashville were like the two like unexpected. Come out yeah. of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, I mean you have a good season, but I mean but yeah. I think the, I think the added scoring with the Zingle and Eric Halla, we got young. Yeah, the Zingle's uh, a stud too. You know Marty Nechas looking to crack the lineup, and then we talked him about the top of the show. Sebastian Ajo is going to be a leader here and an All Star for a long time. Yeah, we talk yep. about Williams, he's gone, but he's he's but, not gone from that locker room because yeah he'll be he'll about be a part it of when that. they won i mean when they won the cup yeah. first guy ovechkin facetime justin williams nick backstrom credits justin williams for a lot of their success yeah. but shane like we said we won't keep it too long we greatly appreciate you coming on um the event here is incredible like we said we're benefiting uh the hurricane sled hockey team and um, yeah we appreciate it and if anyone's out there that's looking to uh contribute they are a 501c3 organization they're always looking for help all the money's going back to the program to help get more youth into sleds playing the game. They got to buy more equipment, buy more sleds. They continue to grow. So you can find all that information on Carolina Hurricane or JuniorHurricanes.com. Perfect. Again, Shane Willis, everybody. Thank you again. Thank you. Bark down. Off the bar. Bark down. Bark down. Bark down. Bark down. Bark down. Bark down.